WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk about comics with the people who make them, or this week, podcast about them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And it's Valentine's Week here, so we're bringing in some experts on comic book love. From the Comic Book Couples Counseling Podcast, it's Brad and Lisa Gullickson. Welcome! Why, thank you so much for having us. We are so happy to be here. Yeah, super excited. Are we experts on love, Lisa? We're experts on loving each other. There we go. I think I th- I'm comfortable with that. <laughs> I'm definitely an expert about trying to be an expert on love. <laughs> <laughs> we do not not comment on it. Yes, yes, yes. Unsolicited advice we all ha- the time. We have lots of it. <laughs> So, so this was a by request episode, actually, uh, you know, Matt and I wanted to get a couple on the show for our Valentine's Day episode. Uh, actually, this will be up the day after Valentine's Day, but who's counting? Uh, and uh, I put a call out on Twitter and asked, hey, who's a comics adjacent couple we should have on? And folks said, oh, you got to get Brad and Lisa. They're great. Uh, oh. More than a few times they said that. And That's so sweet. here we are. Um, do, now, do you actually have, uh, you know, a week in the future from now, uh, Valentine's Day plans? Am I allowed to ask that? Are you concocting some sort of adorable surprise for each other? You know, that's uh, boy, I was not anticipating that question for whatever reason. Thanks for putting me on the spot. Um, so Lisa and I, we love Valentine's Day. Uh, we love Valentine's month. We try to take February and really appreciate uh the the point of that holiday which is to buy hallmark cards and <laughs> I, I early on in our dating i started uh giving lisa a, a valentine's day card a day building up to valentine's day Aww. and that was a very romantic thing for you know a 20 something to do for his girlfriend but unfortunately a very high bar to set and the second the year he does not do that is the year I do not feel loved anymore. Right. So we've been together now for almost 15 years and I've been giving Lisa a a Valentine's Day card, one a day leading up to Valentine's Day for those, well, for 14 of those 15 years because one year I didn't. That was was 2020. (laughs) Things were going on. Things were happening. Can't blame anybody on that one. 2021, because 2020. um, No, it was 2020. No, because no, you're right. You're right. Uh, the pandemic started. What in. year is it? We were in. We were in vigil for the upcoming pandemic. Yeah, we said yeah. we can't celebrate. The uh, world is about to get a huge big bummer. So, so. we do. Remember that. in 2020, we were all still just like, uh oh. <laughs> yeah, it was either uh oh or oh, it's just the flu. We'll all be fine. Oh, I'm in God. denial. Oh God. Oh God. Uh, but yes. Yeah, so to answer that question, I have been giving lisa a card a day i just gave her her card right before we recorded it was it had a picture of a taco on it yeah not yep. a sexy taco just a very decent childish taco. <laughs> well, let's change the cartoon taco. Not, a cartoon taco it, was, it, it wasn't taco you know from tv yeah yeah uh this is a great start to this episode i love <laughs> it so much um but yes yeah, so we do that but we haven't actually like set like a like a going out plan yeah i don't i don't know if we're going to even do it i don't even know what day the 14th it lands on a monday so i am technically working do you want to listen to us make plans right now (laughs) (laughs) um generally our date nights compose of ordering in 
Yep. And we've been uh, marathoning the uh, box set of uh, Kung Fu movies. Oh yeah, the Shaw mm-hmm. Brothers box set. So, so we'll probably be doing that well, and it's going nice. to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very romantic. It's, well, our spouse is about to suck it up because we'll be recording an episode of this podcast. So. Nice. <laughs> the great thing about Valentine's Day is it is a movable feast. So if you're not available on Monday, you can make it on a Tuesday. Some couples are not into it. We well, just happen to my, be. My, my wife was a pastry chef and then worked in chocolates for many, many years. So Valentine's Day is like, black friday for retail yeah. she's still not over it and will not celebrate it yeah i that's understandable. I understand that yeah and then you know like lisa's birthday is the 27th of december so we tend oh. to celebrate christmas and new year's on our own special days yeah and and her birthday will like we'll tr- we'll do something on her birthday but then we'll find like another day because generally uh, at least one member of my family is in town for my mm-hmm. birthday and they ruin a birthday yeah. each and every oh. one of them so <laughs> our plan oh. is to always just make the best out of any day we can get together that's 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 nice you know one thing that's weird about valentine's day this year besides the fact that you know we're still in a pandemic is the super bowl is the, is the day before yeah. so if you yeah. wanted to celebrate valentine's day on like sunday because it's on a monday you're competing with the super bowl not a conflict in this house. Not yet. It's not yeah, a big no, deal for yeah, us. exactly. No, I, I, the Super Bowl is is to football what you know going to church on Christmas and Easter is for lapsed Christians. Yep, <laughs> yep, that is true. I feel bad for the Hallmark Channel. I'm sure they wanted to do one of their big, you know, day before Valentine's Day movie marathons. It was like nobody's watching that. Speaking of Hallmark, you made me think of it with the cards. <laughs> Yeah, they're out of luck. Yep. <laughs> oh man. Well, we we are we are ten minutes in. And we haven't even gotten to the official show icebreaker question. <laughs> I'm loving this. I'm loving this energy. It's a good energy. Uh, what are some of the first comics that either of you remembers reading? So we'll go in birth order, Lisa. Sure. Shall I? So, so I've been reading comics a little longer than Lisa has. Um, I grew up not a comic book kid. I was a movie kid, but when I was 10, we moved across the country after my dad retired and we landed in Virginia and the grocery store near our house had a comic book shop in it. And my dad, you know, my dad was frustrated that I wasn't reading. All I was doing was watching TV and watching movies. And I, 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 my dad's a big reader. He wanted me to be a reader. I resisted it all the time. So he took me to the comic book store and he said, anything in here, I'll buy you. <laughs> and I said, oh yeah, free, free, free treats. And uh, I immediately started hoping that this comic book shop would have toys and candy in it. But it was before the days that that really happened. <laughs> uh, so this would have been August of 1990. And I know that because I looked up the comic. <laughs> the, the comic was G.I. Joe 103. Nice. Um, yeah. Storm shadow crashing through uh, a ceiling. Um, Scarlet is in a coma. Uh, written by Larry Hama, illustrated by Mark Bright. Uh, I was a GI Joe kid, so a GI Joe comic just made a lot of sense to me. And while I was there, this was also the period where I was really trying to watch R-rated movies and sneak R-rated movies in, and my mom was very resistant to that. 
but my dad did allow me to also buy the adaptation of RoboCop 2 that Marvel Comics put out. And so those are the first two comics I ever purchased. I almost instantaneously fell in love with the medium. Mm -hmm. And I like, if it wasn't that week, it was certainly that month I was begging my dad to take me back to Joe Gumbinger's comic book shop in Burke, Virginia, Uh, rest in peace. And I was, I was like, can we have this same deal where you buy me whatever I want in this place? (laughs) As long as you read it and talk to me about it, we can do that. We can continue that. And so I picked up Amazing Spider-Man. And then once I got Amazing Spider-Man, the Eric Larson years, I was done for. I was not raised on stapled comics. I would, we would read comic strips. So the omnibuses we had were like Peanuts and Garfield and Calvin and Hobbes. And I mm-hmm. loved them. I had a Garfield alarm clock where his, his like teeth was like the time. <laughs> and then um, fast forward to my college years and there was a, a cute emo-y type boy. Not me. That was not Brad. <laughs> who was like, do you know what's cool? Uh, Sandman. And so I was like, <laughs> I'm going to win this this boy by reading all of Sandman, which was a weird, uh, like now in retrospect, a super weird comic to start with. And then I went directly from Sandman to Watchmen to Dark Knight Returns. Such a weird, bizarre trio of comic books. And and I and like. I enjoyed them, but I I don't think I was doing a particularly good job of like reading them. I think it really is a practice to absorb. I was was pretty much just reading the words and hardly ever looking at the pictures. But I think those are the three books. Like if you go into a college bookstore in the early aughts. That's what an emo kid is going to hand you. Yeah. And um, we did date for two years. So success. And and then um, there was a comic book store right across the street from George Mason University called Phoenix Comics. And I went in there and I was like, oh, to open a box, all you need is five titles. And so I was like, hey, I'm trying to get into comics. Help me choose five titles and I'll get a box. And they told me no. (laughs) And they turned me away. And I would, because like, they're like, boxes really are for people who are into comics. And so you, a hot girl, should probably leave. And I was like, Okay, and I and I left, and then I didn't really begin reading comics in earnest until How they were married. How did that conversation actually go? Well, I mean, I could, like it took a couple. I had gone a couple of times, so I had gone a couple of weeks in a row, picking up different things. Um, there was a deli like right nearby, so I would get a comic and I would go to the deli, and I'm like, I like having this ritual, and I was finding. Like I wasn't finding necessarily stuff that I loved, but I saw how many options I had and I just saw the potential for for something I could really love. And so they had seen me walk in and out, you know, but I I think that it was, yeah. And it was really them telling me, they they weren't so direct, but they told me that I couldn't open a box. That's great. That makes me so mad. The lapsed comic retailer in me is filled with rage my boss would at the the shop that i worked at for 15 years if he'd heard any of us say anything even like approaching that we would have been out on our ass so fast 
I, oh my like, god i feel like the culture of comics has changed a lot it's the culture of comic book shops especially yeah where now you can't walk in without somebody throwing three recommendations at at you and asking you what you love and i love that too uh i love that more um than being turned away um <laughs> but like i i think that the, this comic book store did embrace the kind of more surly gatekeepery yes. like this is our secret place yeah and mm-hmm. it didn't last long yeah. after so they, they changed hands several times yeah. i don't even know what they're called anymore the uh, they're, amazing they're, comic yeah shop they're now? now the amazing comic shop total different ownership great really shop. nice so if you're ever uh across the street from george mason university you will not be turned away they'll let you open a box maybe i have not asked <laughs> <laughs> So those are your independent early comics. What are the, some of the first comics you remember reading together? Do you want to tell the story? Um, I think the first stack of comics Brad handed me was Hellboy. Yes. And Hellboy was another one where it's like, it's not really a beginner comic. Um, but I did do my homework and I did read it all the, the way through and I recognized that the art was beautiful and I recognized that there were reference in it, references to like folklore and, and I liked that idea. Um, and so I guess that was my beginning, but like we didn't start like reading comic books together until like maybe like a, a year or two in, into our marriage. I would say marriage. about two years into our marriage is when you finally wanted you got proactive about reading this insane collection that i had brought into our home i needed to start going at it systematically because i felt that if i was just trying to pick and choose on my own i didn't have the like reinforcement to keep me reading um so i started a graphic novel book club um with just it it was specifically for people who were not already into comics but were like comics curious and so this was the early days of the mcu i think like this was 2011 captain america the first avenger had just come Mm -hmm. out and so we had some friends who were like i want to get into marvel comics yeah and so and so uh we started a book club and brad curated everything we read for several years it was so great and it was really wonderful and then we started opening it up and letting other people choose things and then Brad enjoyed it less. <laughs> but but that's really where my relationship with comics started um, in earnest. I also had at that point read um, all of Ultimate Spider-Man up to when Peter Parker dies. And then I was like, this is devastating. I cannot go on. Um, but I have since gone on. But yeah. 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 Good times. <laughs> I miss that graphic novel book club. Uh, you know, other people started recommending things and Lisa's right. Like once I lost my control, <laughs> I was uh, a little less enthused about it. But then I also read a bunch of things that I wouldn't have necessarily picked up on my own. And that's the whole point of being part of a graphic novel book club. I highly recommend anybody who is into comics or interested in um, being into comics, starting a graphic novel book club. And you just need like three or four people. Yeah. If that, you could even do a two person graphic novel book club. It's a lot of fun. We do one every week with a yes. guest. Yeah. <laughs> but what I discovered I loved about comics, along with this, the myriad of stories, there literally is a comic book for everyone. Um, but like, I loved the conversations that it would spark. And I loved how um 
I always manage to find some kind of message or morality like inherent in each story. And, and I was really moved by how uh, the X-Men in particular always had something to say. And um, then I was hooked. I was totally hooked. Now, uh, it, is, it is my understanding that uh, you two met in a, in a Barnes and Noble. That is true. That's right. He was uh, the uh, the full time bargain lead. That's right. I was just a part time co ed working on the weekends. <laughs> yep, yep. That's yep. that's true. Two Barnes and Noble employees. Two Barnes and Noble employees. Uh, and it took about I don't know a year and me threatening to quit uh, for us to start dating uh, after that. That that well, it wasn't contingent on our our date our our dating that Brad would stay working at Barnes and Noble. He was already making plans to leave. Uh, well, yeah, I was I was getting ready to move across the country and then I quit Barnes and Noble and, and during the this weird time period between me quitting Barnes and Noble <clears throat> and leaving for Los Angeles, Lisa and I actually started going out together and then I left and then I came back. Yeah. Uh, and then a year, two years after that, we were married. Matt, there's a note here that says this story is actually similar to how I met my wife. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I didn't write that. <laughs> Wait, yes, I did, did write that. And it has nothing say, to do with Barnes and Nothing <laughs> like how I, I met my wife. wife. I'm curious. I want to know. I want to know how you met your wife now. But I know oh. how Matt met his wife. So that is, that's not right. Now. I met my wife because I went out in a middling to not great date with a friend of hers who said to her you know he wasn't right for me but i think he might be good for you oh nice and interesting we were given each other's aim screen names shows you how nice. old we are and it was just like yeah you know we just started chatting and it was like well you know that's all well and good but she, she said to me on oh, you can't fall in love with me because you live two hours away and that's just <laughs> not going to work long distance and, yeah and then you know she was in new york for work for business one day and i lived up near new york she lived in philadelphia and it was like hey i'm going to be in new york and i don't have anything else to do you want to get dinner it's like sure why not yeah by the end of that night we both knew we were going to get married AIM that was, it. was my like my only plan for flirting in college. Like any <laughs> any date I got always started on Instant Messenger. And actually, uh, my really embarrassing Twitter handle was my AIM screen name. Oh wow, that's intuitiveness. Yeah, um, I I chose it um, because I was going to middle school uh, choir camp. And I was like, well, boys are going to want my email address. So I better um, get make a Hotmail account and use it for the rest of my life. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, you can at me. Sidewalk Siren. Chosen as a 13-year-old. Use it still today. <laughs> Just don't ask me ASL because no one does that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If I'm really lucky, I'll let you into my MySpace top eight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I. this is proof that my brain is rotting. I wrote the note that said this is actually similar to how my, my wife, insofar as we both worked at the same place. Uh, I, ah. got, I got hired at a gym as a lifeguard right out of college. 
because I needed a job and that was a job. Uh, and she happened to work in like the daycare downstairs and we met because we were both getting like recertified in CPR uh, and- Ooh, romantic. Yeah, yes, exactly. Uh, no, I'll no. give you some chest compressions. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> there were still rescue breaths back then. And no, uh, <laughs> I, I don't believe that we had to demonstrate on each other, but eventually, no. Um, <laughs> I can't wait for your OnlyFans. I want to see this. <laughs> I need a reenactment. <laughs> Oh Christ! Uh, so, at, at, at what point, you know, you you you've been together for a while. At what point do you look at each other and say, "It's time to take our relationship to the next level"? Do you want to start a podcast together? Oh man, Brad was actually the first to start podcasting. Yeah, he had a blog called "In the Mouth of Dorkness," <laughs> and uh, his. Uh, one of his friends was like, well, I want to learn how to do podcasting equipment. So how about you and your blog buddy start a podcast? And then I later joined the cast of that podcast in the mouth of darkness. And because Lisa can't let me have my own thing. <laughs> that is not the truth. Um, uh, we had a, our very first San Diego Comic-Con episode and the, uh, the crowd loved me. And the fans demanded that I come back, all two of them. And I and I can't let people down. I am That's a people right. pleaser, first and foremost. Right, right. So you joined the In the Mouth of Darkness podcast. And we had been doing that for five plus years. Uh, but Lisa and I wanted to do like a creative project together. We've discussed several creative projects before starting the podcast. And we ended up like discussing, let's, let's do a comic book couple a centric podcast a year before we ended up actually sitting down to do it. It, it took, it took some time to like go. I, I think there's actually something to be done here. Lisa needed to convince me that there was a purpose to self-help is really what it came down to. <laughs> I've always been uh, like, uh, like I, I always look for mentors. I'm just like that kind of person, like media mentors. Like I don't mm -hmm. want to meet a person, but like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I always, were drawn towards uh, particular personalities to take life lessons from. And I was in a big time Gretchen Rubin phase and Gretchen Rubin came up with the personality profile of the four tendencies. And I was like, uh, I wonder like, how could we apply the four tendencies to the fantastic four? And that was the origin of our podcast. So on our podcast, we take a comic book couple and we um, choose a self-help book and we apply the self-help book to the comic book couple to make their relationship better and in turn our relationship better. And um, so we actually started with Scott Summers and Jean Grey using um, Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. And the Dark Phoenix Saga. Yeah. And yeah. There's, there's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to <laughs> dissect in the Dark Phoenix Saga between Scott and Jean. And uh, uh, Scott is an acts of service. Uh, Jean Grey, she actually has two love languages. She is a physical touch and quality time. So there you go. The great thing about Scott Summers is you could do multiple episodes with multiple uh, partners. <laughs> Just yeah. come back to every year. Like the, the first negative review our podcast ever got was after we covered 
uh, Morrison's new X-Men uh. and the introduction of Schema. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when and the person thought that I was being way too harsh on Scott. I was like, have you read these comics? Uh, and they were very mad. And they they sent us a really negative, nasty review. Um, but ever since then, I'm like, well, we got to hold on to Scott and Emma. We're, we're going to have to do Scott and Emma at some point. But we need to make sure our base isn't going to ditch us. <laughs> As a shameless Cyclops apologist, like completely shameless, he was still not a good dude in a bunch of those places. He is very traumatized and did not handle it well. Yes. And I am right there with you. Like I grew up. So like, you know, when the, in the nineties, when, you know, uh, Jim Lee and Claremont really took off with X-Men, like I then became obsessed with X-Men and I, I just attached my own personality to Scott Summers for whatever reason. Because he was banging Jean Grey. Okay, that was the reason. Um, and and I just, I like, I took everything he said and did as a kid as like, this is what a leader would do. <laughs> then Lisa and I finally cover them on the podcast and we get to the X Factor issues, the Madeline Pryor stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're like, there's no forgiving Scott Summers. <laughs> He's a bad guy. Uh, if Marvel, what if is to be believed? He is just like one stitch in time away from full incel. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. Not to be trusted. But but then you get to Wheezy and you get to those issues where he goes back up to Alaska and she finds a way. Yeah. 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 I like, like that. That is the most that I have the most nostalgic feelings for that comic during that period. Like if I see those X factor issues the, the, and the wheezy stuff, like that makes me a 13 year old kid again. Mm. And, 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 you know, it's, it's, it's got some weird stuff in it, but it's so good. Absolutely. So I have to ask, how did you guys arrange or how was it arranged the, that acapella version of the X-Men theme for your, your podcast theme? Oh, um- that's great. Oh, thank you. Um, I was a vocal performance major in college at George Mason University. And um, and so it was just listening to it in layers. So I just went on. So I uh, I just did it on GarageBand. Long story short, <laughs> it, it was one afternoon. I, I kind of wish I had uh, put a little bit more effort into some of the vocals I, because it does show the full range of my voice it goes like down i i don't know how low it goes but it goes up to the like the, it goes up to like a full-on like high c it's like ridiculously high and so uh some of those some of those outer voices are a little gravelly but um but people love it and uh, you know and at least i use my music degree for something <laughs> so so this one's for the group so you know dan and i can also jump in on this uh but i i would like everyone to stay for the state for the record, as of this particular moment, who are your two favorite couples in comics? Don Greenwood and Silver Surfer. Ooh, always okay. and forever. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Don Greenwood is like my favorite character of all time. I love her so much. And I think as a couple, what I admire about them so much and what I think exemplifies like a perfect couple is that they are always so curious about each other. They're so interested in what each other thinks. They find everything about each other so entertaining and amusing. And they, 
they uh, they leave it open to each other to change. Like over the course of those nine volumes or however many there are, um, each of them ends up in a different place. And and I just think that that's so special. So they're they're my favorite couple of all time. Yeah, that was like a comic that I gave to Lisa where I was enjoying it because I was a diehard Mike Allred fan, but I wasn't loving it. Uh, but in conversation with Lisa, as we were reading it in singles at the time, Lisa was saying like, no, this, this is what you're missing. And reading that comic through Lisa's perspective made me really appreciate it. And I've, I've fallen head over heels for them as a couple. And we've covered them now on the podcast. And those are probably my four favorite episodes of comic book couples counseling. Um, And it is one of those comics where I feel like if you get people to read it, they will love it unless they're silver surfer fans. And then you have to get those silver surfer fans to read it minus their baggage of what a silver surfer comic should be. Mm. Uh, That's really like the only like heavy resistance I've ever encountered with those books. Yeah. Yeah, but I think Don Greenwood, um, just as as a character, her being her only superpower is a willingness to help and always entering a situation going, how can I be of service? Like to me, that is a superpower that is attainable. And I and I try to embody every day. Yeah, uh, the first couples that I ever kind of latched onto, we've mentioned uh, two of them already, uh, Scott summers and gene gray like i was so invested in my stories and those were my stories like the melodrama of the claremont's x-men like i got like i worked through all my feelings of about romance and love through those books and they altered my way of thinking probably. And I don't know if that was a good way or not, but that's like how I understood what romance was because of the Claremont uh, relationship of Scott Summers and Jean Grey. Uh, And then like Peter Parker and Mary Jane as a kid, uh, I had a thing for redheads, I guess. Um, I was very much invested in that. And actually I would say when things started getting mucked about with them during like the whole clone saga, uh, is when I sort of like left comics for a while because I didn't like how they were dealing with Peter and MJ's relationship during the clone saga. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, like, I think my favorite couple, and it could just be recency bias because Lisa and I are gearing up to return to saga mm-hmm. is Marco and Alana. Like I, I love them. <laughs> um, I'll Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to say, I got, I got one for DC and one for Marvel. Uh, for DC, I'm going to go with with Scott Free and Big Barda. Uh, nice. That's yes. an excellent yeah. choice. Love them. I, I love their dynamic. I, I love the fact that she could easily crush him uh, if she wanted to, and he would let her. Uh, all good things. Uh, Marvel, I'm going to go. Uh, this is like 50% of Brad's answer, but Scott Summers and whoever. Because <laughs> I, I feel like you know, he's, he's had, you know, quite a few partners over the years, you know, he comes across as uh, that one time he ran away uh, from Maddie and uh, his infant, you know, notwithstanding as a generous lover. So I can read a Scott and Jean story and be as happy reading a Scott and Emma story, a Scott and Lee Forrester story, 
uh, certain Scott and Maddie stories. <laughs> the thing with Scott <laughs> maybe, maybe Summers, less so there. <laughs> Scott Summers as a partner is that his love language being acts of service, like he is there to help and he loves <laughs> to feel needed. And I think that that's one of the things that helps and hurts him dating around the X-Men because everybody's powers fluctuate. Like, I think one of the things that destroyed his relationship uh, off and on with uh, Jean Grey is she got the Phoenix Force. And, uh, she became, and even after the Phoenix Force, she became so immensely more powerful than him that it was hard for him to express his love for her. Cause he's like, well, what could I possibly do for you? I'm going to go down the, the uh, uh, oddball obscurity trail because I love that kind of thing. Uh, my, my first pick is and always will be Ralph and Sue Dibney. Ooh. I, the, Ralph and Sue Dibney are the elongated man and his wife. The elongated man is a, on a good day, B-list DC Comics hero, usually probably a C-list character. He's part Plastic Man, part Batman, mm -hmm. in that he's a stretchy guy who's also a good detective. But he and his wife, Sue, are modeled very much after Nick and Nora Charles. They are this sort of globe-trotting detective adventurer pair. Sue is a socialite and she comes from money and Ralph is just a big old mystery dork. And they are mostly defined by just how much they love each other. They just go on fun, wacky adventures and they have not appeared together since 2003. Yep. That's all I know of them is that event and that tragedy. Yeah, no. If you read the stuff, you read the original stories, you read their appearances in James Robinson's Starman, uh, you read any of the stuff in the, the uh, Justice League International stuff, they are just charming. And I love that, that sort of goofy, the Nick and Nora Charles, Frank and Sadie Doyle, uh, you know, goofy romantic thing that they do and they're witty and they're smart and it's it's a joy when they're written and it's not all about that one horrible tragedy that I get so mad about because I, I like a lot of what Brad Meltzer has written just not that and not right. just for that there are other deep flaws in that story too that someday we will cover on my other podcast and I will spend half an hour just screaming. But we should also cover them on comic book couples counseling. We might have to defer to your expertise on, on which comics we should read for that. Lisa I literally to... just put a note down. <laughs> I just wrote the... it down. It sounds horrible. <laughs> I love have... love. Yeah. They, they're just every year. Sue does a catered mystery for Ralph for his birthday. How fun. And Ralph's always trying, he's always trying to, you know, he always figures it out, but it's, it's delightful. And that's just, you know, they, they, when they fight, it's always sort of like, hmm. and then they get back together. They, they, it, it's never catastrophic. It's never the end of the world, especially because they're supporting characters. They started out as supporting characters to Barry Allen. Uh, Ralph was on the flash TV series for a couple of seasons. And then 
uh, oh, wow. seasons five and six or something. I think we and then, off before that. Yeah. And uh, I stayed on and because Ralph was there and then eventually they had Sue. And then at the end, they went off together and it's like, oh, OK, well, I, I got a nice, happy ending and good for me. Uh, good <laughs> for them. Uh, my other couple, uh, we're going indies here. Ooh. Uh, Francine Peters and Katina Chivansky. Francine and Kachu from Strangers in Paradise. Because they are the opposite of Ralph and Sue, who it's always happy. And always, Francine and Kachu are a disaster. From page one, issue one, these are two people who are a train wreck. Kachu loves Francine. Francine is not interested in Kachu because Francine is, you know, not gay. Kachu is very much gay. They go back. They, be, they stay friends. They break up as friends. They maybe become a couple they don't become a couple back and forth all of this hijinks and high drama for a hundred plus issues but in the end these are two people who love each other so deeply and they wind up together in the end but it's just it's a 106 issue soap opera and so many people have recommended Strangers in Paradise to us. I've never read it. I've always wanted to. It's, you know, it's such a wild book. It is very much a soap opera. It's got some real telenovela vibes when you get, you know, oh, uh, you know, Kachu's ex-lover shows up who happens to be a mob boss who runs a ring of high-priced call girls who are also assassins. How fun. I'm into it's, it. It's an incredible book. And I mean, it's it's part of that same indie black and white boom that Bone was a part of. I and mean, you, you, you couldn't be further apart in what they're doing. But that was that same late 90s, you know, because there's the 80s period where you get your TMNT and your Cerebus Yardvark. And then you get later on, you get your Strange in Paradise and your Bones. And it's yeah, I mean, it is a book that is at its core about the relationship between these two people. And there are all the other people who s- cycle in and out of their lives. And there are times where Francine and Kachu aren't together. But in the end, they always come back together. Love. Yeah, we'll we have to do, do that. that one, too. <laughs> yeah, we got to do that. Yeah, you can I do can... our programming from now on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm already intern, by the way. (laughs) I've already got one and a half podcasts that I'm doing that for. (laughs) Why not throw it? Because Lord knows, all I have left is time. (laughs) Wait, no, no. So, uh, of the couples that you have covered, now that Matt's fed you at least two more episodes, um, (laughs) uh, you know, which ones have surprised you in in what you've learned from them or turned out to be or offer way more than you expected going in uh this is an easy one for me carmen and Huen from the second life of dr mirage they are the most functional relationship in all of the comics i have read thus far and what i think is so brilliant about them is they go through such hardship with Huen's condition and their entire like 
one of the ways that they express love to each other, that physicality is taken away from them. But because their their um, commitment is so strong and their admiration for each other is so strong, they are constantly negotiating with what are other ways that we can express our love to each other, make time for each other, honor our relationship. And I, and I just found those books to be so fun and so wholesome and- um, But weirdly horny as weird, hell. So horny, <laughs> but in like a marital way. Yeah, yeah, in a sweet, <laughs> horny way. I just, I thought that they were not, uh, uh, we are fine with sex outside of marriage. We had some ourselves. High five. High five. Um, but, uh, but I just thought that they, they were just so sweet. And, um, and I think that it like, cause one of my annoyances in comic books is that it feels like to keep romance hot, it has to be an on again, off again relationship. And that's just not the truth. And I think that, um, a lot of lessons could be taken from the writing of, uh, Carmen and Huen. That is a great answer. And, uh, that was my answer, oh, oops. Uh, but I like the, the couple, for me that I um, I was a fan of, or like I was a fan of the comics already, but it, was, it wasn't until we covered them on the podcast where I became very precious about them as a couple. And in a lot of ways, it ruined me for all comics relating to this character afterward, but it's Swamp Thing and Abigail. Mm. And as seen particularly, particularly, why can't I ever say that word properly? <laughs> Uh, through Alan Moore, you know, Steve Bissett, Rick Veach, uh, mm-hmm. Totalbin, their run, and then Rick Veach afterwards, and then like Nancy Collins carried it for a while. Uh, but when the new 52 came around and kind of like reworked the concept of Swamp Thing back to kind of what it was before Alan Moore took over, mm-hmm. that really bugged me. And then every presentation of Swamp Thing and Abigail since then doesn't quite jive with how they were depicted in those stories and like that that's just become like a heart comic and that's a heart couple and I want more stories of them together as a couple and I, I, I I'm waiting for a writer to reinvestigate their relationship. Swamp Thing was like when we were doing the Swamp Thing Alan Moore episodes. Like one of the lessons I took away from that story is like how Swamp Thing was like, it turns out I am not Alec Holland and I never was Alec Holland. I find myself referring back to that in my head all of the time of, I am actually no longer my past self. And that person that I'm judging myself for, for mistakes in my past, like doesn't exist. Yeah. And why am I hating on this person? Or why am I envying this person? Or why am I judging this person who is not here anymore? And we talk about it in those episodes, but we're constantly replacing ourselves. So like our body that we're inhabiting now is not the body we that we had when we ago. were born. Mm-hmm. And, and like that, like, Swamp Thing as a metaphor just became something so much more powerful to me because of the conversations that Lisa and I had on that uh, podcast series. um, One of my favorite um, uh, lessons I also took from was from our, one of our one pod stands where we did John Jones and Mariah from the Martian Mile Hunter. The Stephen Orlando one. Right. (laughs) 
And we paired that with um, an article by Dr. Catherine Shear called The Healing Milestones about um, overcoming grief. And so thinking about um, like when you are, when you have lost a person or have just lost a, you know, when you have a grief feeling, that grief becomes part of the landscape of your emotionality. And that grief is something that is always with you. It's not something that you get over, but rather it becomes something in like a monument in the landscape of your, uh, your emotional capacity and um, making grief part, like that idea of acclimating to, to some, to a st- longstanding sadness in your life is, is something I've, I've found myself referring back to. A and lot and now well. that we're returning to saga to explore uh, essentially volumes five through nine of the trade paperback series, mm-hmm. we're also using the self-help guide, how to be sad by Helen Russell, by Helen Russell. And like, I, th- I think exploring grief and exploring sadness is something that we initially didn't think we would we would be venturing into with comic book couples counseling, but it, it has been like surprisingly helpful for my own life experience. Oh, what is grief but love persevering? Am I right? I think I came up with that. I think you did. <laughs> I think you did. Oh man, uh, you know, and, and that was actually that was the next thing I was going to ask. And you know, I know you guys are getting ready to dive back into the back half of the first half of saga, (laughs) uh, you know, and I'm just thinking, so, you know, I, I read the first half of it in trade and I didn't get to issue 54 for a bit. It had been, I'm sorry. Okay. Lisa hasn't read it. I forgave you for that. Like what? Two years ago now. I still feel bad about accidentally spoiling that ending. At no point in the story was I about to tell, tell was, was I going to say, and Matt ruined issue 54 for me. I know, but I still feel bad. (laughs) Lisa had it ruined also, but she doesn't know the events of how that happens. Oh, okay. But I mean, it's um, so I have not, I had not picked up saga again since we put it down after our last episodes because i knew that we were going to return to it and i like to keep my um like my palette clean like uh, it, mm. for me it's hard to forget what's upcoming so to keep myself focused in the episode i don't like to know the next thing that's so happen. we so- said we weren't going to return to saga until saga returned to the stands and then brian came on and fiona staples <laughs> took three and a half years <laughs> Yeah, so so I'm way behind on Saga, but but okay. I'm also kind of unspoilable. But don't spoil me. That, that's funny because the question I was going to ask is: Are Ooh. you prepared to get wrecked all over again? <laughs> yes, and, and we were anticipating that because their entire journey is heartache from from their the their origin story. So that's why I did choose that How to Be Sad book by Helen Russell. It just happened to to pop up in in my feed, like I heard an interview with the author on one of the million self-help podcasts I listened to. And I was like, this is perfect. I had, a, I actually had a lot of trouble finding a book for Saga. Cause I was like, you know, because I know that there's, they do spend a lot of time separated um, and on different planes of existence. Um, so I wanted, and so I was like, do I go with like a parenting book? But Brad and I aren't parents. And, um, and we want to, and, and I'm not saying we'll never do a parenting book, but, um, 
I thought you were like, and we are having children. Oh, surprise. (laughs) (laughs) We're never having children. Um, But uh, yeah, so it took a, it was hard to choose a self-help book for Marco and Alana, which is ironic because they need a lot of help. (laughs) And, 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 you know, not to, I mean, that's what makes them great characters is how yeah, deeply absolutely. flawed they are. Yeah, um, I mean, it's high melodrama. I think that, it, you know, her becoming essentially like a, uh, you know, soap opera actress was mm-hmm. a little bit of art imitating art. Is that a, a thing? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I, I, I love the melodrama of comics and I, and I think that Saga really leans into it. And I love flawed characters Mm -hmm. and i'm not interested in perfect characters and i think you're lying to yourself if you say you want your characters to be good upstanding perfectly functional human beings making all the same decisions as you no you want messed up people and that's what marvel comics like when they came to that idea back in the day they like cracked the code you want flawed heroes I like the idea of Stanley in his office in 1961. Uh, you know, ha- however much you believe the, the the story about them moving the furniture out, but just sitting there and just be like, you know, I'm a messy man who loves drama. Jack, throw <laughs> me some drama. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, where's my time machine? Uh, I don't I don't know how deep into your read or, or reread you are at this point, but is there one thing you've you've learned? from however far you've gotten that you didn't catch the first time or is coming off as fresh to you? Well, rereading volume five. So it's a first read for Lisa, but it's a reread for me. Um, They're really calling their shot pretty early on of what's going to happen in issue 54. (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like there are, there are things. And again, it's like hard not to spoil with Lisa here, but there are, there are moments in volume five, especially in Hazel's um, narration narration, Mm -hmm. where you're like, Oh no, (laughs) I now know what she's talking about. That's not good. I want to cry into my pillow now. And so I have found rereading volume five to be a much more painful experience, but it's one of those things is like as a comic book obsessive and as a, a person who loves stories, you just, you just want to talk to Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples and just go like, you know, you guys, you're really firing on all cylinders here. It's quite impressive how you've set all this up and into motion and then seemingly paying it off so far. Don't hey. crap the bed guys. <laughs> Hazel's narration it's like foreshadowing is her speech impediment. Like everything she says is so ominous and you don't know if it's going to be satisfied on the next page or the next issue or so far in the future, you're not going to remember this detail. And, and it's it's Brian K. Vaughn's kink is yeah, foreshadowing. Oh, oh yeah. And so like, I've made a habit, I like I take copious notes and I've made a habit of keeping track of all of Hazel's ominous predictions Mm. um, because I do love the satisfaction of seeing foreshadowing completed. I like that sense of like, you know, satisfaction. Um, One of my things I'm taking away from Saga, this reread with that focus of Helen Russell's How to Be Sad, like one of her main messages is that we have all been um, socialized 
Americans in particular socialized to try to expedite sadness and go like, even when we are going through the toughest periods of our lives, we are all searching for, okay, well, what's going to make me happy? I'm not successful until I'm happy. I'm not complete until I'm happy. And, um, and we all have our different methods for tamping down that sorrow, that inevitable sorrow, because somehow we've been taught that by not, by being sad, we are failing. And now that she's put that thought in my mind, like Marco and Alana, since page one have had to um, put their sadness and their grief on the shelf. And, and so I've been able to do kind of a, um, uh, itemization of like, these are the ways that they are tamping down that sadness. And with the understanding that it is going to express itself somewhere. And there are instances where we see them numbing. We see them, um, distracting. We see them, you know, uh, you know, acting out. And so I think that it will be good to look at their relationship as a, you know, a kind of um, primer in into, okay, this is the wrong way to deal with sadness. And how could we help Marco and Alana figure out a way to express their sadness and better so that they can um, get those messages that sadness is here to teach us i'm looking forward to recording these episodes yeah me too i'm stoked <laughs> well I'll, we'll 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 move it along so we're not giving up giving away too much of the store uh <laughs> for your listeners uh certainly so, uh, what are some of the best resources for couples that you've discovered uh over the course of the show hmm. some of my favorite resources are actually not couples books at all I've already mentioned um, oh, the four tendencies. I think that um, that's a really practical guide because it's all about how different people deal with like expectation. And I think a lot of conflicts in relationships come from different handling of expectations. Um, I also really love Brene Brown. She is uh, she's famous for her like TED talks, motivational speaking, but she's all about like vulnerability. And I think that um, being brave enough to be vulnerable does make a relationship so much better. One of my favorite self-help books uh, was Common's memoir. Oh, let love have the last word. Which was kind of like a relationshipy kind of conversation it that was he was like having. A, it's like a stream of consciousness message forward memoir. And it, but it was all about looking inward and like dealing with your own perspective. Because I find like a lot of the self help books. Uh, relationship books that we tackle on the podcast, the ones that don't work for me are the ones that are telling you like how to tame your partner or how to steer your partner in some way. Mm -hmm. And that's, I mean, in my experience, when you try to control anything your partner does, it's not helpful. Uh, and the best self-help books are the ones that are truly self-help books. It's all about what are you willing to change or what are you willing to think about yourself to aid you in a better 
uh, relationship with your partner. Uh, but Common's book was a like it, it it very much had like a growth mindset mm-hmm. where he came to the conclusion that you know you are going to change and you have to change and you have to embrace change. And that fits so well with our conversation around Swamp Thing and Abigail that we paired it with because Swamp Thing was all about changing it, becoming something new and uh, Abby embracing that newness with him and and herself. A ton of parallels between Alec Holland and Swamp Thing and Common. Yes. You it's, it was astounding. Uh, so one thing I was curious about, uh, you know, in addition to the couples analysis that y'all do, you know, you also ha- do a lot of, of creator interviews. Uh, which episodes are more labor intensive in terms of mm. prep and research? The, the couples episodes or the interview episodes? The couples episodes by far. Okay. Um, because they do involve uh, reading reading the comics, reading an entire self-help book, and then um, creating the structure that we can relate those two things. And Lisa says she takes a lot of notes. And we're talking pages upon pages upon pages, like dozens of pages Lisa takes notes on. I actually have a packet right here. I have visual. I know this is a, (laughs) but these are all of my notes uh, for uh, sex criminals. Um, Several pages, teeny tiny font. Um, yeah, uh, it's a dissertation. <laughs> well, you know, I hate to be caught without something to say. Yes, yes. So we we definitely put the most amount of time and effort into the couple sessions. The interviews are, I mean, you know, like we have different strategies on how to conduct an interview. I do zero research. I do zero notes. I don't come up with my questions. I like to go into an interview and have a conversation. I mean, like, okay, I, you know, if it's, if it's a semi or popular person, I'm already probably aware of other interviews they've done because I do like reading and interviews and watching interviews. Um, but I come in with nothing, basically. Lisa, again, copious note taker, Uh, comes up with all of these questions. And I think the combination of the two of us, our two separate strategies in conducting an interview help with those, you know, help tremendously. Like there's never a uh, gap in conversation because of our two strategies. Um, But I think what's so different, uh, what is similar about our couple sessions and our interviews is that we're just there to learn and we are, we are there to um, not like glean insights into the creative process and how, how we interact with narratives. And I think from each of our creators, we've gotten insight into their personal philosophies about creativity and life. And um, so. Yeah, like our philosophy with comic books is like when we read a comic or we watch a movie or, or read a book, what is this book going to tell me about me and so when we go into our interviews it's it's sort of what we want to do with them and we're still trying to like how do we how do we make that happen quicker because when you're doing an interview like there's this period of like getting to know each other via the conversation you're having and it takes usually about 10 15 20 minutes depending on the person and then suddenly you're like off to the races (laughs) now let's talk about like 
your personal life and your feelings (laughs) uh, now that you've stopped your promo of your comic. Um, And so we're trying to get to like the meat of the matter quicker in our interviews. (laughs) Is there a God? (laughs) (laughs) Tell me now. You got, you got, uh, collectively, uh, you know, I've, I've seen a lot of sort of rotating, uh, art from, from Karen charm, uh, over the course of the show. And I don't have a question associated with that. Uh, I'm just, Karen is great. And, and I, I love seeing new, uh, Karen pieces every so often. So I'm glad that we've made it part of our, our thing to reach out to different artists and have them create art for us. Um, it's not a cheap, <laughs> it's, it's not a, a, a cheap hobby. Um, but like, we don't have wedding photos up and nope. we don't have, but we do have Karen's art and we do have a lot of Elliot's art. I don't know how vol- the site works. Brad, Brad is. is pointing. We I'm pointing. Yeah. It's an audio podcast. <laughs> I, we have Karen's show poster behind us. Like if I could. Our Christmas cards every year. We've we, had beefcake boss. And- if we could afford it, we would love Karen to do every episode's show poster. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day. One day. Karen is an incredible talent. And. It's, uh, we're dreading the day when they become way too popular for us. Yes. Yes. And it's happening. <laughs> we're going to be priced out. <laughs> well, here's hope. Here's hoping you get grandfathered in. Yeah, yeah. that's my plan. That's my hope. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get another Karen piece uh, later this year. Right on. Our 100th episode is coming up. Did you realize that? Our 100th couple session, and yes, I am aware. We've yeah. done 126 episodes, Lisa. Yeah. 20, 27 episodes. Does that include our Patreons? No, it does not. We, we've done we've done a lot ah. of talking. Wasn't well, that a good segue into my next question? You just said the magic word. It's always <laughs> a great segue when you announce it's a great segue. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's why I did it. Because on your Patreon, uh, you're podcasting about reading Sandman for the first-ish time. Uh, how, how's that going? Uh, I love seeing people read Sandman for the first time since it's one of the comics I've read the most times and one of the comics I own in the most formats. So many formats. We love doing our Sandman episodes, maybe a little bit too much where they are all we want to do. Um, for me, uh, like Sandman, it was one of the first comics I read and I probably read it in like 2003. So I remember it like a fever dream, like, <laughs> like, like something will come up and I go like, Oh, I remember this panel, you know? So, um, I remember that this is the one with the cats. I think it was okay. Um, so I've really enjoyed, so for me to read it, it's like reading it for the first time. And, and then for me to read it is, is literally the first time. time. Like for whatever reason, I just never read the comics. And I have I had read game and novels. Like I had read Neverwhere and American Gods and Nancy Boys. Uh, and I, I had read like a ton of short stories, but for, again, whatever reason, I never read the comic book. Uh, and once you kind of like committed to not reading the comic book because it was so popular. I'm one of those jerks where it's like, eh, there's enough fandom around Sandman. Rebel tendency. <laughs> I don't need to join the Sandman fandom. And so I just sort of dismissed it. But then one of our listeners suggested it. And I thought, well, you know, it's never too late. Let's let's give it a shot. Let's try it out. 
And I, I don't know if I immediately fell in love with Sandman, but by this point we've done 22 issues, 22 episodes, and I am madly in love with Sandman. It is a weird experience to podcast about something where your listeners know way more than you do. And as somebody who likes to think of themselves as a know-it-all, very vulnerable. <laughs> like, I don't He's like Bre- it. He's browning it up in here. Yeah, I, 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 it makes me very uncomfortable and I don't like being corrected, but I need to be corrected every episode. Originally, So it's a great practice. Originally, he was reading along with the annotations and I was like, this is cheating because the annotations are going to spoil things. So we actually had like an ongoing discussion with our patrons on whether or not Brad was allowed to read the annotations. And ultimately things went my way and the annotations book has been reshelved. Sad. Wait, a separate or the annotated Sandman? Or a the separate- annotated Sandman. The okay, Sandman. Yeah, that's, I'm looking at my copies of those on the shelves right above my absolute Sandmans and my trades and my full set of singles that I meticulously curated for years are filed with the rest of my collection. Oh, I love that. Four formats. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm like that, but for the monkeys. I have Ah. it in VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray. So 4K restoration is next. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we hope. Oh, man. So it wouldn't be an episode uh, without a question from our grand Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl. And she asked, uh, what, what are your what are your advice? What are your tips to introduce a partner to comics uh, who may not be into comics before? I think that going in with a curated list to their interests, because there literally is like if they have any kind of interest fandom, if they're into food, if they're into sports, if they're into uh, men who dress up like bats, there's there's something there's something for everyone. Yeah, I, I, I think what I learned very early on in our relationship when I handed my all time favorite comics, which are Mignola's Hellboy, mm-hmm. and I handed them to Lisa and I was like, this is my heart. Lisa, please read it and love it like I do. And I'm like, there's not enough kissing in this book. And that's exactly what she said. <laughs> And I had this moment where we're like a little bit of heartbreak. Uh, and over time, I realized like you can't force your favorite things onto your partner. They, you know, they, they, if they become curious for them and like Lisa has grown to enjoy Hellboy, but it wasn't until Lisa became curious about Hellboy herself. Until I learned how to read comics too. Until you learned how to read comics. <laughs> did she sort of see what I see with those books? Uh, like, like my advice for anyone is it's better to become interested in what your partner's interested in than trying to make your partner interested in the things you are. Like if you go into a relationship with an open mind and a curiosity, uh, like, like Lisa's a big time monkeys maniac. I had seen some monkeys episodes maybe as a child, but it wasn't my thing, but I became curious. Why does Lisa love the monkeys? And in trying to answer that question, I discovered my own uh, adoration for the monkeys. Uh, And I I think it's the same deal with comic books. Like if if you want your partner to love Batman, don't give them the Dark Knight Returns, especially if they've never read a a Batman comic book (laughs) or any comic book before. So uh, apart apart from Saga, uh, what are what are some of the things you're reading right now? 
Oh gosh, uh, I'm uh, I'm in the process of becoming uh, a fan of manga I, again. Like Sandman, for whatever reason, I I grew up not thinking it was for me. Mm-hmm. But then a few friends finally put some books in my hands that uh, I found to be interesting, and then I suddenly was like, "Oh, now I'm curious." Now let me go explore. And by becoming curious, I've started to find like, you know what? Akira is pretty good. <laughs> um, and, 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 but right now I'm reading Die Dark and Chainsaw Man. Uh, and um, what else am I reading? Uh, I think that's it for manga. And then I'm reading Jeff Smith's Tukey, uh, uh, Fight for, I can't remember the subtitle. Fire. Fight for- fire fight for fire, fire. And, fu- and family is is coming yeah and and i'm a longtime bone maniac uh so i'm excited by any new jeff smith um we just had mark siegel on and he wrote with his wife whose name i don't have at the tip of my tongue right now which is sexist of me and i should be canceled um but they wrote two different volumes about dance and i'm like looking brad tiny dancer and two dance and yeah so i'm currently reading those i am um a ya uh graphic novel enthusiast and um so that's what i've been into lately we have much to discuss (laughs) (laughs) i'm actually starting a project over on i'm i uh staff writer on comics bookcase Mm -hmm. and so i'm about to premiere a article series exclusively on YA books. So that's what I am entrenched in. I've thought about doing that myself, but. Well, too bad. I've already, <laughs> this is my corner. Yeah. I've been doing it on and off for years, <laughs> but I've got too much Batman to write about. And read. <laughs> so much Batman. <laughs> uh, all Batman are valid. I always like to say that. I like them all. Have you ever read my series of articles about my Batman isn't your Batman and that's okay? I I have not read them, but I am aware of them. I I will read them. I have written that article twice. Once when Batfleck was announced on my own blog and once when Pat Bat was announced for Comics XF. Yeah. Because everyone's Batman is valid. Yes. That is fair. Despite Kevin Conroy being the best. (laughs) <laughs> Correct. I think that the, it's nice that everybody gets a favorite and they don't have to share with too many people. Yes. Yeah, I, I will say, Brett, uh, speaking of Jeff Smith, there, there a, a couple months ago, my son came home from the library and he pulled out a, a, a bone book. And I was like, holy shit, my kid's reading bone. I had nothing to do with this. This was completely unprompted. This is not a fucking drill. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's my godson. That's awesome. And uh, progress report, enjoying Bone? Yeah, he he brought a second book home like just last week. (laughs) Awesome. I love hearing that. I love hearing that because I really do feel like Bone is the ultimate all ages comic. Mm -hmm. And it is a comic that I've been trying to get Lisa to read for a while, but I'm not forcing it on her. <laughs> uh, but it is one of the first comics along with Hellboy that I gave to her that she also rejected uh, initially, initially. Initially, initially, I'm a changed person. I've grown <laughs> since then. Um, Brad actually has made a habit of giving bone to all of our nibblings 
none of whom have opened them. So clearly you are a better parent than any of my siblings. I feel like I've, I've shat on my siblings twice. They're lovely people <laughs> and uh, they take mockery well. I love them all. Uh, awesome. Well, this has been uh, super fun, but uh, final question uh, before we let you go, uh, something you're probably well rehearsed in saying at this point, how can people follow you online, the podcast and, and all the various uh, and sundry side projects that you have going on? Uh, well, you can find everything Comic Book Couples Counseling at ComicBookCouplesCounseling.com. We're on, I think, every podcast app. Uh, so if you just search Comic Book Couples Counseling or CBCC podcast, you should be able to find it. Uh, uh, you know, as we've discussed, we're obsessed with Saga right now. So as you're listening to this, uh, hopefully our first episode of Saga uh, Volume 5 is out there, knock on wood, uh, you know, things happen. Um, and we uh, uh, have a Twitter account at CBCC Podcast and Instagram, CBCC Podcast. We're on Facebook. Um, nobody else is on our Facebook page. <laughs> Just so, my dad. He likes them all. Yeah, I'm, I'm solely communicating with my father-in-law on Facebook through our Comic Book Couples Counseling <laughs> Facebook page. But yeah, that's those are all the places. Uh, Lisa, you're on Twitter. I hear at Sidewalk Siren. That is correct. What a fabulous name. So original. <laughs> and I'm on uh, at Mouth Dork, which isn't weird at all. So at Mouth Dork on Twitter and Instagram, too. Right on. Well, Brad and Lisa, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Thank oh. you for having us. This was a delight. This is, yeah, absolute blast. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a $1 donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Cap herself from Comics XF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and Comics XF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, that ad where they use the Silver Surfer to promote a jet ski giveaway. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.